I'm going to have to remember the next time we can't get elders how to do that. Let's give them another job title, have them come up front, and then bingo, they're in. <laughs> uh, the name Habakkuk means embracer. And as you read through the book, what you realize is that Habakkuk has to learn how to embrace God even if his situation is crumbling. And so that may be what we as a church for the next five weeks need to just ask ourselves and you individually. Are you an embracer? I mean, if everything you rely on crumbles and falls away, whether that's a relationship, whether that's finances, whether that's your health, can you still embrace God? Or are you only willing to embrace Him as long as He gives you the things that you think that you need? And so it's a tough, tough little book that we'll be challenged by here. Habakkuk has to learn to live with painful silence from God. I don't know if you've ever felt that way. That, that you keep praying and not really you don't get no, you just get nothing. Or you're sure that God's going to go in one particular way and then He doesn't just not go in that way, He goes in the opposite direction. And so when, when you don't get silence, what you do get is something that you actually don't want. And so can you embrace God in those challenging circumstances? And we're going to walk through these opening verses, particularly the first five or six, and pick up some lessons from Habakkuk. But I think because it's such an unfamiliar um, passage, uh, let's get some background on where Habakkuk fits into the Old Testament and even the message of the Gospel. Uh, you may remember that after King Solomon, whose reign ended, who was, who was reigning under a united kingdom of Israel, Saul, and then David, and then David's son Solomon. They were the kings of the united kingdom known as Israel. And in 930, when Solomon died, then the two, the king, that one kingdom called Israel split into two, and it split north and south. And the larger section was called Israel, that's the northern kingdom, and then the southern kingdom was called Judah the smaller section. And because of the wickedness and the apostasy, the hypocrisy, the deceit of both of those two kingdoms, they eventually fell. 722 was the northern kingdom's fall. Assyria came down and attacked Israel and was exiled into the area that we know as Iraq today. And then about 150 years later, Essentially the same thing. The players had changed. Now it was the Babylonians, or according to Habakkuk, called the Chaldeans. They came down and they destroyed the temple and the people that were there. God's people were now in exile. And so when you read through these uh, books of prophets, it's helpful uh, to think that there's five major sections in the Old Testament. Two of those sections are major prophets and minor prophets. So there's five major prophets and there's 12 minor prophets. And pretty much when you get into one of those prophets, they're going to fall into one of three different categories. They're going to be prophets who are talking to the kingdom that's at hand, Israel or Judah. And they're going to mostly be saying, men and women of God, you're going in the wrong direction. Turn around and Let's go this way before it's too late. 
And so Isaiah, Jeremiah, even Habakkuk fit into that category. Or there are prophets that actually live in exile, and they're trying to continue to help people understand the Word of God while they're in exile. Daniel, Ezekiel would be examples of prophets like that. Or following the exile, there are prophets like Haggai and Zechariah. So typically, if you put your finger on one of the prophets, books of the prophecy, they're in one of those three categories. So Habakkuk is a prophet who lived around 600 B.C. He's watching the collapse of the southern kingdom. And really, by the time he's writing his prophecy, God is already telling him what's going to happen. And it's really too late for the people of God to turn around. And most likely, Habakkuk lived through the last good and godly king that Judah saw, King Josiah. You might remember him coming into his kingship as a little boy. They found the law. Remember where they found the word of God? In the house of God. It was amazing. I mean, who would suspect that you would come to church and you would actually find the Word of God? And so they found it there. Terrible, uh, maybe indictment on our own culture. But so, uh, Josiah heard this Word and said, we're going to follow after this Word. And reforms came in under King Josiah, but we learned that they were relatively superficial because as soon as he died, the nation just steered back towards idolatry and deceitfulness. And so, uh, Habakkuk had lived through this sort of resurgence or this renaissance or this revival, however you would want to think of it, but now he's watching this spiritual decay and collapse of his own people and his own nation. Jeremiah 6 gives you a sense of what Habakkuk was living through. As a well pours out its water, so Judah pours out her wickedness. Violence and destruction resound in her. Her wickedness And wounds are ever before me. The word of the Lord is offensive to them. So their houses will be turned over to others, together with their fields and their wives, when I stretch out my hand against those who live in the land, declares the Lord. From the least to the greatest, all are greedy for gain. Prophets and priests alike, everyone practices deceit. The priests dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say to my people, when actually there is no peace. And so you get the sense of how, what kind of environment Habakkuk was living in. It wasn't just that he was living in a place where the culture had gone south. It was that the church had. He's not just saying, oh, those greedy people out there in the culture. Jeremiah and Habakkuk come into the church and said, you know what? It's not, we're the problem. We don't look any different than the people outside the walls. And the people who stand up behind pulpits, they're saying, oh, peace, peace. When really there is no peace. They, they dress the wounds of my people as if they're not serious. They look at the sin of the congregation and say, oh, it's okay. And so the, 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 the spiritual decay of Israel or Judah really began inside the church. The people of God themselves were not holding on to the Word of God and walking in His ways. And so as Habakkuk lives in this, he cries out, 
now looking at chapter 1, verse 2. This is his cry as he's looking out along this landscape. Oh, Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you do not hear? Or I cry you violence and you will not save. You make me see iniquity. And why do you idly look at wrong? There's destruction and violence. There's strife and contention. The law is paralyzed. It never goes forth. The wicked surround the righteous. Justice is perverted. I mean, from Habakkuk's point of view, God has uh, gone quiet. I was talking to uh, Kim Tagesson today, just learning that he was in the uh, Navy in a submarine. And I think this is right. Kim probably correct me afterwards. But I think there's a term, you know, when you don't want to be heard in a submarine, you, you go quiet. So you're there but nobody can detect that you're there. And that, that's what Habakkuk's feeling. He's feeling like God has gone quiet on him. He just can't understand where God is in this. And then when God does actually react, he doesn't really appreciate what God is going to do. I think one important lesson that we can pick up right here at the beginning of Habakkuk is this question that he actually is asking God how long. This is not an unusual question in the Bible. But the person who first asked the question isn't a prophet. You know who the first person who asked this question is? God. He patiently looks at His people and He says, How long? You see what's happening? The prophet's looking back at God and saying, How long? And God's looking back at His people and saying, How long is it going to be? How long are you going to live your lives just like everyone else does? I'm patiently waiting. I'm I'm giving you so many good things, but yet you continue to fail in just walking in my ways. How long before I have to act? Numbers 14 is a good example. The Lord says to Moses, How long will these people treat me with contempt? He's talking about the people inside the camp, not outside. How long will they refuse to believe in me? In spite of all the miraculous signs I have performed among them. I think it's important as we could have this tendency to look out onto the culture, especially in a a relatively conservative, evangelical church, and to think, Sort of, we've got it right, and the people who've got it wrong are those other people. It'd be very easy to say, yes, I've got it right, but this poor sap in front of me, I know he's got it wrong. And I hope Paul preaches to him today. Or we could say, well, I know Christ Community Church, we've got it right, but that church across town, they've got it wrong. Or we know people inside the church have got it right, but the people on the outside, that they've got it wrong. And so it's very possible that God is speaking to you today. You see, before you start looking at anyone else, God wants you to look at you. And before you start complaining about other people or other churches or the government or society or the culture, He wants you to look at your own heart and assess your own condition. And it might be possible 
that the only reason you're here just for this morning is to hear this question back from God. How long? You know what's right. You know the way. You walked in that way. You're not confused. You just don't want to walk in my way anymore. And He might be using this passage for you to address yourself and hear Him look into your heart and say, Hey, how long is it going to be? God might be being patient for you. You might wish He acted in some way, but He might just be being exercising His patience just for you. As we move on, we listen to these words that Habakkuk sort of piles up in his description. Destruction, violence, strife, contention. The law is paralyzed, justice is perverted. But I want you to hear who he's questioning. He's not just making observations. You do not listen. You do not save. You are the one who idly looks at wrong. Well, who is the you that Habakkuk is talking about? God. I want to go, whoa, Habakkuk. Back up, buddy. I mean, it starts to feel a little bit like he's kind of shifting it off. I mean, he sees that the people are rotten, but then he's looking back and he's saying, God, where are you? You don't appear to be listening. You don't appear to be doing anything. Or if you're doing something, it looks like you're just standing idly by as wrong happens. And Habakkuk seems to be calling into question God himself. I think the next important lesson we can learn from this godly man is his willingness to really wrestle with God. You see, verse 2 and following is a prayer. Oh, Lord. He's just not just out there blogging about it. He's praying about it. He's not in some just conversation. He's really in a conversation with Almighty God. When he gets to verse 12, Oh, Lord. These are prayers we're reading. This is a man of God before God saying, How long and where are you? And so I think it's helpful to see two things. One, Habakkuk avoids the error that so many people have fallen into from sort of traditional religious backgrounds. And that is, they say, Whoa, you can't you can't ever question God. I mean, that's just, Habakkuk, that's inappropriate. That's out of bounds. Those kind of questions, you just kind of have to leave those alone. And that is not what Habakkuk does. He, he sees his circumstances. He doesn't see it all, but he's bringing it in, into his prayer. He's not afraid of God. He's not thinking, oh, I've got to get it all just right in my prayer so God would listen to me. So I think you can take great encouragement in this prayer that you can really bring your raw emotions before God. I mean, you see that all the way through the Bible. You particularly see it in the Psalms. 
One of the psalms basically ends, the psalmist tells God, I just wish you would leave me alone. And my guess is, you felt that way before. But sometimes we grow up in these cultures that just say, we just can't bring that kind of stuff to God. Well, Habakkuk does. And when you notice when, it, when the Lord answers in verse 5, He doesn't rebuke Habakkuk. He doesn't actually even say Habakkuk's viewpoint is wrong. He just says, okay, I hear you, now here's my answer. The second thing that Habakkuk, I think we can learn about prayer from Habakkuk here is that Habakkuk avoids, I think, the second common mistake made by people who live in evil times. And that is just walking away from God altogether. Most people wouldn't admit it, but they live with this enormous self-confidence that they can understand the complexity of all situations. I mean, most of us wouldn't admit it, but we live on the sort of this side of the Enlightenment, and we think to ourselves, if just God gave me some information here, I'd have it all down. I'd be okay with it. I'd be able to fit it out, figure it out, fit it all together. And when we can't fit it all together, we say something like this, I just can't see how God would bring anything good out of this situation. I don't see how God could allow all this suffering. So therefore, since I can't figure it all out, what am I going to do? I'm going to walk away. You see, Habakkuk avoids both of those extremes. He's not afraid to bring his raw emotions before God. He's not afraid to bring the toughest questions before God. But when he's in this tough time, he doesn't say to himself, well, because I can't figure out what God's doing, I'm just going to go away and leave Him alone, as if He doesn't exist. And so I don't want you to fall into either one of those traps as we pray during difficult times in our lives. I can specifically remember a time uh, in my backyard of a house that I lived in in Winston-Salem. And I, I was we had this split rail fence, and I was beating my fist against this fence, saying, God, where are you? Your silence is causing me and other people pain. And I thought, you would want to take care of this. Now, I could have walked away, but where else would I go? I mean, I'm already not being able to figure it out. So where else am I going to go? It sort of was like the Peter. Remember the disciples? They get confused and... Lots of them are walking away, and Jesus says, Are you not going to walk away? And what does Peter say? I mean, there's no other place to go to. That's not a cop-out. That's just saying, You know what? I, I guess I'm not going to figure it out on this side. And so I'm going to have to just trust. I'm going to bring my questions, but I'm going to engage. I'm going to wrestle with God. If, if you say, I just can't see how God would bring justice out of injustice, what are you going to miss? 
If you say, I don't see how God could bring something joyful out of suffering, what are you guaranteed to miss? You're going to miss the cross. You're going to miss your own salvation. If you can't see how God might bring some great justice out of some great injustice, then you're going to miss the cross and you're going to miss your own salvation. Well, Habakkuk finishes his prayer in verse 4. And although we can't say for sure, we, we do know he had a pretty strong reaction, which we'll get to next week in verse 12. We can't say for sure what Habakkuk wanted, but it's a fair guess that since he'd lived through the good king reigns, the good king Josiah's reign, that he was thinking, here's a good plan, God. Bring a Josiah back around, and we can sort of get the nation moving back in the right direction. And so God listens to Habakkuk's prayer. In verse 5, he sits Habakkuk down and listens to these. This is the opening. Look, Habakkuk. See. Wonder. Be astounded. I'm going to do a work in your day that you would not believe, even if you were told. For behold, I am raising up. Now, if you were Habakkuk, what would you be thinking just at that moment before anything else got said? Here comes the king! Finally! We are going to get something moving here. Here it comes. I mean, God's going to bring the, the heavy weight in here now. Because I'm going, to, I'm going to look at this thing and be astounded. I'm going to wonder. It's going to be beyond what I could even imagine. It's going to be way better than King Josiah. And you know he was just on the edge of his seat saying, finally God's going to break through and do what I think He should do. And then God says, I'm raising up the Babylonians. Bitter and hasty nation who are going to come in and take your own homes. Now, I don't know if there's a parallel. But if you have been praying for years for the restoration of America, and God tapped you on the shoulder and said, Today's the day I'm going to answer your prayer. Be astounded. Look around. You will not believe what I'm going to do. You'd be going, finally. And He says, I'm going to bring Al-Qaeda here. And they're going to take your home. And you're going to have to move over to where they live. I mean, how would you feel at that particular point? You see, when we get back to God, to Habakkuk being an embracer, this is what we're talking about. When you went to the doctor for the good news, and you didn't get good news, you didn't get neutral news, you got the bad news. I mean, how are you going to act? How are you going to react at that particular moment? And that's what Habakkuk is up against here. And I want to just stop here and give one more lesson here in verse 5. And I want to say it very carefully because it's a warning to Christians who are sometimes a little too overconfident and a little too hasty in assigning to God how he's going to work things out. And I might be talking to you. There are some Christians 
and maybe all of us in some degree, but some more than others, who just are a little too hasty, a little too overconfident. And what they do is they take their will and they assign it to God. And they say, this is God's will. When really, it's what they really want. I've been in several conversations just in the last few weeks with people who'd said, this is God's will, and it didn't work out. Or, they do what I say, they play the God card. You ever had a conversation with somebody who plays the God card? You're in a discussion, you don't know what to do, and the person says, well, God told me. I call that the God card. They just pull out the deck, God told me, and they shuffle it out, and then you can't say anything. Because God didn't tell you, and so God told them. You just kind of stuck. And so they deal out the God told me card, and then in, in this kind of situation, God didn't do what He told. When that happened in the Old Testament, you got stoned for assigning God told me something when He didn't tell you. And we live in a church culture that I think it's very easy to assign what you really, really, really want to see happen to what God's will is. Now, I do not think it's bad to really, really want to see something happen. And I don't think it's bad to think, I hope God's with me on what I really, really want to see happen. I think Habakkuk had these kinds of feelings. He really, really, really wanted to see something happen. But we can't take our feelings and then transport them over to God and then assign it to God's will and then we just hold Him hostage and say, well, He didn't answer the way I thought He was going to answer when He never really said He was going to do that. And so I want us to be very humble people. I don't want you to be too hasty. I don't want you to be too overconfident. I mean, think about the U-turn Habakkuk had to take right here in verse 5. This was something he would not have believed had he been told. And it wasn't good news. A good example of this, uh, if you're just looking for another biblical example, is Mark chapter 8. Jesus is walking around with his disciples, and they're thinking to themselves, finally, the real king has come. He's the real deal. And he can make it happen because I've seen all these miracles that he's done these last two years. I know that this is the man, and I know exactly what he's going to do. He's going to reestablish himself as the king over Israel. And these twelve Jewish men, these young men, are following after Jesus saying, We are all in. And then after two years of ministry just like this, he takes his disciples and says, Guys, the way to me establishing my kingdom is through the cross. Well, you want to talk about a U-turn. And Peter, just representing all the other disciples, he says, Jesus, we're not going that way. I mean, you may have thought that was good, but thankfully we've been around you for the last couple of years and we can see something a little, we got a little vantage point and that wouldn't be a good way. And what does Jesus say? He says, get thee behind me, Satan. But then what does he say? You don't have God's purposes in mind. 
What do you have? Man's. You see what Peter was doing? He was assuming from his vantage point, he knew what the best plan was. And he was taking that plan and saying, that must be God's plan. Well, if that had been God's plan, where would we be? Stuck. Because we need somebody who can go this way for our salvation. And so we just need to be very careful when we're saying what God's will is and what God's ways are. Last week we talked about wisdom. Here was a good definition. Godly wisdom is a disposition to confess that God is wise and to cleave to Him and live for Him in light of His Word through thick and thin. One final lesson here it dovetails with just this last verse. God tells Habakkuk, I'm, I'm going to do a work in your day you will not believe, even if someone told you. He's, Habakkuk can't see it, but God's going to bring salvation out of justice. He's going to bring justice out of injustice. And he doesn't, you can appreciate it, he can't see exactly what's happening. But God can see something 600 years later that Habakkuk can't see. And the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 13, which is why we read it, is preaching to this Jewish community. And he's telling them about the gospel. He says this in verse 38, Let it be known that through Jesus' forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. You hear what he's saying? You look at your life and you wonder if I've got the goods to get in. And God says, well, here, let's just take ten. See if you measure up to these ten. Have you ever had any other God besides me? Mm. Okay, let's, let's move on. I'll come back to that one. Honor your father and mother. Okay, let's move, we'll come back to that one too. But do not commit adultery, which means do not lust. Do not lie. Do not steal. Do not covet. <laughs> Can we get a new ten? I mean, just none of them. You're living underneath the law of Moses and you're saying, I'm hopeless. And the reason you're concluding that, and this is what most people don't want to hear, is because you and I are evil. It's not somebody else. No one is good. Not one. So we have a massive problem. And we need a massive solution. And Paul says something that Habakkuk couldn't see was this massive epic injustice was going to bring you and I justice. He was going to take your sin and my sin, and I just love how he says it, every one of them. And he was going to bear it on the cross so that you didn't have to bear it. Isn't that good news? And so then, Paul says this to close his sermon, and I'm going to use it to close mine. 
he uses this passage out of Habakkuk. This warning, look, see, wonder. I'm going to do a work in your days that if you had been told, you wouldn't believe it. And he uses it as a warning. For those who've had a chance to hear the gospel, don't turn away. A judgment much more horrific than the Babylonians coming is going to come. And it's going to be the righteous king, Jesus, coming back. And you need to ask yourself, where are you? How long? How long? How long will you wait? Maybe your life will be required of you today. Maybe it will be in 20 or 40 or 60 years, but how long are you going to wait? If you don't know Christ, this is the way home. His suffering for your eternal security. If you know Christ, if you're one of the folks that Habakkuk was looking at in his congregation and asking, how long? How much longer are you going to continue to walk away from me? Don't let it last one more day. In the midst of crumbling circumstances, I pray that you would be a faithful wrestler. I pray that you wouldn't be quick to assign your will to God's will. You know, most of the time you don't know what God's doing. Most of the time. And God is being patient. Maybe just one more day for you. Let's pray together. Lord, none of us here would know how we would respond to verse 5. So certain of your character, so certain of your way, so certain of your will, and we get the direct opposite of that. And I want to say thank you for sending a man like Habakkuk and sending these three chapters to us so that each one, maybe today, maybe next week, maybe in 20 years when we face a situation that it just feels like it's going the very opposite direction, we would learn how to faithfully embrace, to wrestle, to trust in your ways and your will and not our own. Lord, I thank you for your patience that you are patient enough for me. I pray that this for anybody here who's been waiting, they would wait no longer. That this would be the day of salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.